there's no substitute for being invested with skin in the game in the world at large. And it does have you, once you do that, paying attention far more than if you weren't. I'm Chris Hill, and that was David Gardner. Today on Motley Fool Money, we're stepping back from news of the day to have a broader conversation about the pillars of investing success and how to set yourself up to be a lifelong learner and investor. And who better to do that than the co-founders of The Motley Fool, Tom and David Gardner? They share lessons they learned from people like Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch, key elements of core foolish investing styles, and some of the things they look for in companies before they invest in them. Think of this as the greatest investing class you never got the chance to take in school. I'm Tom Gardner with my brother David, uh, co-founders of The Motley Fool, spending the first half hour class of this series talking about why we invest and how we invest, and really The Motley Fool way of investing. David, thank you so much for spending the half hour here. You bet. Let's do it. Why, why do you invest? Well, I think the most obvious reason to invest is that you are hoping to make some money in order to do something in, in life. And uh, a lot of people think of it in terms of retirement. Uh, they think they'd like at some point to not have to go to their day job, whatever that is. And, and they imagine that if they invest well, they, they can, in fact, achieve that independence. And yeah, it's happened. It's happened for me. It's happened for you. I know, Tom, it's happened for now in our 29th year at, our, at the company. It's happened for tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that we've that join our services and have gotten that financial independence. So I think that the number one reason, it's not the only reason, but to invest is because you're wanting to do something with the money that you're going to make. And a lot of us are trying to buy time and buy freedom. And the mission of The Motley Fool, our company-wide mission, is to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. And you've kind of highlighted the richer component of it. I think you've, you've, you've included some of the others as well. But what, what, what makes you happier as an investor? Well, I think one of the important things that you and I have always felt we want to teach the world is that it's, stocks are not just ticker symbols. Stocks are actually just the ownership in a company, and it's the company, and it's the product and service, it's the humanity, it's all of the good stuff that happens behind the stock. You and I get to be part owners of companies through the miracle of the stock market, but really, uh, for, for you and for me, Tom, we want to have fun following the companies we're invested in, right? Um, a big part of the reason we're the Motley Fool is we're here to educate and enrich and amuse. We've always thought about the court jesters of yore and how they made things fun for everybody else around them. So I, th I think it's not just about mechanically following some plan to achieve financial independence at some point. I mean, that does work, and it's, it's, it's a worthy goal. But I think for us, it's so much about what the companies themselves do and whether they're making the world better and whether we enjoy following them. I've observed in our family over many decades that really thinking about our father and our and and his brother both I think began investing before the age of ten, and just observing some of their conversations where they I remember one a few years ago where they were debating who had made the worst investment between the two of them. So that fun and joy, the competitive fun of investing, and also uh, just the humility, the journey that we're all on. Uh, sort of testing and learning our way through understanding business and how to assemble a portfolio and how to how to make money sustainably over a long period of time. How about smarter? How does investing make you or uh, any any 
stock investor or your fund or ETF investor smarter? Well, I think there's no substitute for being invested with skin in the game in the world at large. And it does have you, once you do that, paying attention far more than if you weren't. That's a big reason why the Motley Fool Foundation and the Motley Fool are going to work so hard over the next 25 years to get people thinking that they can be part of the system, that they they are an investor. In fact, they've always been an investor. They just didn't realize that that was the word they should use. But anytime we spend a dollar, we've made an investment, whether it's in a stick of bubblegum or a, a 401k plan. And so I think a big part of that, Tom, is that we are switching people on to realizing they are included, they are part of the system, and the companies that are going to help them achieve financial independence, well, we want them to care about those companies. And yeah, I think it makes you a lot smarter when you're starting to ask those kinds of new questions. I mean, just think about a company like, I don't know, Twitter. I think Twitter makes me smarter every day. And the act of investing in Twitter, it's not been a great stock pick. It's been up and down over the years. But it's, it's, it's made me pay more attention to social media. And then I think about meeting an author for the first time whose book you love just because you can direct message them via Twitter, which would have been a dream when you and I were 15 years old. So I think just the act of being in the game makes you smarter, assuming you're trying to play to win. Um, before we now move out into how we invest, we've got a few uh, sections that we'll be discussing here in this 30 minutes. I just want to close with what you think are the one, two, or three things somebody needs to have in place before they invest. Um, and whether those are based on age or experience or an amount of money you have, um, can a can a 12-year-old be investing in stocks as readily as a 67-year-old? What, what, what do you see as the one, two, or three things you think somebody should have in place uh, to begin investing? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind, and it doesn't matter what age you are, it's to be a lifetime investor. I mean, I think that's what really separates people who are truly investors versus traders. Um, so, if you're making a lifetime commitment, as you and I have, Tom, to being an investor, in my case, the stock market, yours too, but there are other approaches, real estate. We have some great advice at Million Acres at The Motley Fool. I mean, venture capital, we do that too. There are lots of different ways to invest, but it's really taking that lifetime mentality. So for me, whenever the stock market starts to sell off, I stay invested. Uh, it, I don't enjoy watching the stock market drop, just to, like I don't enjoy watching my sports teams lose from time to time. But if you are just as you are a lifetime sports fan, if you're a lifetime investor, that will make huge difference uh, in in your mindset, your mentality, and your results. So that's that's probably the number one thing that comes to mind. It's something that is available to us all. There's such a temptation to think short term, to um, you know, fear of missing out, to speculate, and to have high expectations. And those three factors together can destroy a lot of uh, a lot of the opportunity to get smarter, happier, and richer. Um, and so. Everything that we do at The Motley Fool is about that lifelong uh, set of goals and building uh, rather than, than kind of crossing your fingers and hoping something appears in the next six months. Um, now we're going to go out into the how to invest, and there are going to be uh, five segments of this classroom. The first is going to be talking a little bit about index investing versus stock investing. The second is, what are the core principles of our stock investing approach? A little bit about rule breaker investing and everlasting investing, and then what type of returns are reasonable for someone to expect over time, and then how to handle the volatility and the, the emotional journey of being an investor. So let's start now with index investing versus stock investing. What do we see as a few of the uh, strong supporting points behind being an index investor? 
Well, I'll give one, but I'm going to ask you back because I want to make sure it's not just you interviewing me. Uh, I, I think you know, an important thing to recognize is, is if you're going to be an index fund investor, obviously you need to know the definition of that. A lot of people hearing us right now already know what that is, but I guess in the interest of making sure everybody does, it simply means that you are putting your money toward a manager. You're handing your money over to somebody else or a computer, and they are allocating you into the components of an index. So, a common example would be the Standard & Poor's 500. And so, there are 500 really big companies that kind of make up the building blocks of American business. And if you give your money over to that uh, human-slash-computer managing you, uh, they're going to put your money into 500 little pieces. So, if you have $500, they're going to put you $1 in each of those 500 companies. And now, you, you are in an S&P 500 index fund. You could have selected a Russell 2000 index fund, which is 2000 small companies. You could have selected a restaurant index fund or ETF, and then you'd just be invested in all the restaurants. So, the concept of being an index fund investor means number one, you're giving your money over to have it mechanically allocated. And then number two, it's all about what is the index that you are invested in. And because of that mechanical allocation, and this was really popularized and created by Vanguard and Jack Bogle, who we were able to spend so much time with um, over the last uh, 20, 20 plus years of The Motley Fool, that mechanical approach means that the fee structure is, is very low. It undermines um, a lot of the fee-based um, models in financial services because um, that automated uh, methodology and that distributing distributing the capital and and in the S and P five hundred often capitalization weighted so you're actually getting more of the larger and less of the smaller although there are many different flavors of index funds that it is essentially free just about and very tax efficient because you're not doing a lot of transacting it also allows you to budget because there are historical returns to the S and P and you can loosely make some estimates and draw up some expectations about how the market would perform over a 10 year period or a 20 year period, any given year, obviously there can be a lot of volatility, but when you buy an index fund, you know what you own, it's automated. It's essentially borderline free, very tax efficient, and you can budget around it. And those are very advantageous. Now, what would be the reason, David, that you would choose not to invest? Why are we not primarily index investing at The Motley Fool. Yeah, it's funny because our first book, Tom, The Motley Fool Investment Guide, um, you were the one who really set this up, but we, we, we kind of put, put it forward as something worth doing. And then the very next chapter, we yank the rug out from the reader and say, but why would you do that when you can actually buy directly individual companies? Um, so, I think a, a big reason for us uh, is that you can outperform the index. Um, and I, I believe you can do so with confidence, even though a lot of academia still believes that that's not um, not true. And that's one of the reasons we love being fools. We love challenging conventional wisdom. But I think our records will show that we have consistently outperformed um, the, the indices. And therefore, um, why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to buy stocks directly? And I think the whole secret is simply buying the good ones. And I'm not trying to be facetious there. I'm not talking about the good stock last year or the good stock that you think will be good the next quarter. We're talking about the great companies of our time and just being invested in those companies. So, those are in the indexes, right? But so are all the mediocre ones and some downright bad businesses as well. And so, when people buy an S&P 500 index fund, I might like 50 of those companies. I'm not sure I want the other 450. And so, I think a big part of it is discernment as to what really wins in business and therefore what you want to be invested in. Now, 
you and I both know that not everybody is going to want to go through that journey, spend that time. In fact, Tom, I think it's fair to say a, a minority of people in the world today actually want to spend time uh, buying stocks directly. Um, but that, that's what I see. What else do you see there? Well, I think we've talked about index plus a few is a great way to invest. You could take, if you had uh, $50,000 to invest, you could take $35,000 of it and put it into one, two, or three index funds, and then take the remaining $15,000 and um, divide it across a, a dozen or two dozen different stocks. We're in a wonderful world now where the transactional costs of investing in stocks is essentially free, very close to free. Obviously, there, there are some hidden costs in there, but but very, very inexpensive relative where, to, to when the Molly Fool started in 1993, and you'd be paying $59 or $99 per trade. It wasn't unusual to actually have those prices. So, now it's easy to distribute your capital across a number of stocks. And so, maybe having an index fund for some people or a collection of them and stocks, that's definitely part of the Molly Fool uh, way of investing. But I want to transition now toward the stock Investing portion of your portfolio, we know, and I, you know, for us and our family growing up, nobody, nobody bought index funds. We're we're an all stock family, but we're a diversified stock family, and we're a um, looking for the great companies, not looking for the trading uh, and stock price momentum uh, price movements in the short term. So, I'd love to hear, Dave, what do you see as a few of the key Motley Fool principles that are distinct from what somebody might encounter looking elsewhere for investment guidance. Well, this might just uh, recapitulate something said earlier, but let's make sure we double underline it. I think if you're going to be buying stocks, please be buying businesses, not the tickers. And there's a lot to unpack there, and we only have limited time. But really, so many people are just thinking about what's the ticker symbol. And then some people are looking at the chart or the graph of the stock and looking for patterns. And as soon as they buy, they often are thinking, what's my target price where I'm going to sell? And so you have people who are really not, I think, using the beauty of the, the tailwind that the stock market provides you as something that consistently rises over time. Instead, people are jumping in and jumping out. So, I think, number one, just be a business-focused investor. And I really think that, Tom, that's something that you and I, I mean, certainly reading Peter Lynch or Buffett, I mean, there are some great exemplars uh, that predate us. But I think The Fool, when we launched 30 years ago, from day one, we were basically talking about businesses and buying the businesses and not getting caught up in stock market talk. So that's at least number one that comes to mind right away for me. What's one for you? Well, I think also on that point about Buffett saying at one point, he was asked, well, why doesn't everyone just, you know, copy what you're doing. And he said, well, I put all my principles out there, but there's just something that causes people to approach investing in the markets differently and to not think about business. And I think a lot of that is reinforced with you know headlines and short-term news and just the way that our brains are wired. It can cause us to think, and a lot of people still think the stock market is closer to a, a gambling casino um, than, than a system for funding, innovation, a business, employment, Opportunity, growth, um, and so I really love that first point. When when you're investing the Molly Fool way, you're definitely looking at the companies that you're invested in. That is more important than the price of the stock as you're evaluating that investment. I'd say a second one, which you started our conversation off with, is to be a lifelong investor. That is a Motley Fool principle to the core. We would never think. Um, I'm going to drop into the market here for the next two years and hope that I can make enough money to. Uh, Accelerate a, a payment on my mortgage, or, or, or be able to pay for some travel around the, around the world. We would always be deploying our capital and thinking, this is going to, 
this feeds a process that I'll be following for the rest of my life. And that's part of the reason that our mission statement is uses comparative words. We are not trying to be the best, the smartest, the happiest, and the richest person that we know. And we're not just trying to get smart, happy, and rich. We're trying to constantly get smarter, happier, and richer together from our work. And so that's a, a lifelong journey. So I'd say principle number one, please be an investor in businesses if you're investing the Motley Fool way. Number two, please make it part of your lifelong journey. And you're always kind of adding capital and always trying to learn more. Um, what would be it? Well, let's have a third and a fourth principle, and then we'll and then we'll move a little bit to rule breaker everlasting. So we've got business focus and and lifelong investor. What's your principle number three? Well, I guess diversify. Um, again, we've already spoken to it, but we're going to go in circles on some of the really key points because we need to make sure everybody is bought in. Everybody hears it, maybe rehears it, and then starts to make sure that they act in accordance with it. So for me, uh, and I know for you, and for for our company, everybody. Um, Making sure that you are not pinning your hopes on one stock, one type of investment, one NFT, one fill-in-the-blank, but that you instead are taking a comprehensive approach. One thing we love about index funds, of course, is that you are, by almost by definition, diversified. Although if you're just buying an ETF that's a genomics ETF, you're, not, you're, you're diversified within that, but you're not really diversified are you? So I think that that's why for, for years now, we've talked about having anywhere from 15, 10, 25, 25 investments, even at the start, and hundreds maybe before you're done. We have members who've done wonderfully well, well beaten the averages, and they own more than 100 different investments. So I think for a lot of people, especially when they're starting, they think they just need to find what's that one stock, that one idea. Uh, but it, that's really, as soon as we hear that, we're like, okay, yeah, and what are your other 24? The data shows across Motley Fool Services, and this is past performance, so we don't know what it means about the future, but you have a high likelihood of profitability with the Motley Fool style of investing if you buy 25 or more investments in companies and hold them for five years or more on, on average. That really puts you into the data set of that long-term compounding, looking for high-quality companies, as David said. Um, so there we go. There are three principles, and I'll add the fourth. Let's restate the three to be uh, a lifelong investor that's business focused, that's diversified. And I would say the fourth is about you and about all of us, and that is to be inquisitive. And one of the things we've been working on at The Motley Fool is to truly be always on as a company. We want to be a place, a, a digital home for you where 24 7 you can come in and ask questions and and, and keep poking around to, to learn more and figure out how to manage your, your capital more effectively, but also how to learn more about individual companies. Every one of us has a competitive advantage in the zone of our areas of greatest interest in life. That may be cooking for you, that may be exercise, that may be um, genomics, it may be, you may be an engineer, you may be a software developer. Um, each of us has a, a circle of competence. And if we continue to inquire and study that area, of our lives. It presents a lot of investment opportunities as well. So I love those four principles. And those are core uh, Motley Fool investment principles. Now we're going to talk just a little bit about two styles of investing inside the Motley Fool. And there are many different styles, but I'd like to hear, Dave, just the sort of what you would identify as a couple of the top principles of rule breaker investing. Then I'll share a couple principles of everlasting investing. Um, enlighten us. Um, for anyone who hasn't yet encountered the rule breaker investment principles, and you talk about them in the rule breaker podcast that you do, what are some of the key guiding themes of being a successful rule breaking investor? Well, I think for me, number one is that you're looking at companies that are um, 
The phrase I've used is top dogs and first movers in important emerging industries. So you're very focused on who is the best innovator. And it's not just um, the best innovator of all. It's in every industry. In every industry, there are innovators. And often, they're upstarts. And a lot of the time, they're disrupting the status quo in some way, shape, or form. That's why I selected the phrase rule breakers, because the rules out there are being set uh, by the businesses that already exist. Some of them, great big Goliath companies, they are the rule makers. They're setting the way that business happens. But when all of a sudden you say, hey, actually, we're going to we're going to try something new. What if you bought something by clicking something online and it got mailed to you? That's a very disruptive thing. And Amazon did that about 28 years ago. Uh, and that's about how long we've held the stock. And it's a great example of the rewards of finding top dogs and first movers in important emerging industries. So that's obviously a really big one for me, Tom. And I, I think that you have to be willing to lose. That's the second one. Um, because you're not, just like a venture capitalist, uh, you're going to be wrong a lot. And so you have to be okay with that. That's part of the reason we diversify and don't pin all our hopes on one company. But it's, it's also just worth remembering in life that um, the, sometimes your expectations simply won't be met. And sometimes, by the way, you're pleasantly surprised. I've had stocks like Priceline, it's now booking.com, that I recommended thinking it wouldn't do that great. And it ended up being one of the best picks I've ever made. It completely shocked me, right? It didn't fulfill my own thesis for the company. Um, so I think that, again, top dogs and first movers in important emerging industries, that's a stocked pond where if you just fish in that pond, you're going to have probably some of the best stocks of your generation. And if you just even have one of them, they can they can float an entire portfolio, even though we stay diversified. But that second one is being willing to lose. Mm. On that first one, I think of uh, just the, 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 the mind uh, and the approach of deciding, let's create an electric car. It's there were attempts at it before. Let's have a supercharger network. Let's start developing software that could maybe allow these cars to drive themselves. There are so many disruptive uh, sort of breakthroughs in that style. And you often, this would lead a little bit into the everlasting style. And these are obviously such complementary styles of investing. The core Motley Fool principles are more important, really, than the, than the individual styles, I think, to get people business-focused, lifelong-focused, um, um, adding capital, um, and diversified and being inquisitive. And then we get to a little of the stylistic things. And I would just say in everlasting, I might start to add in who are the decision makers at the company? How are decisions made at the business? There have been some companies where I, I loved everything about it and then really found that, um, you know, a, a big financial institution owned more than had the voting rights or owned more than half of the company. So you might end up with a very uh, disruptive, a uh, great team that's working toward an amazing mission, but ultimately they're beholden to a large bank that is trying to harvest that company and sell their shares in the next couple of years. So the the decision making structure at the business, the ownership, the and it does communicate skin in the game. You know, Warren Buffett has said that his favorite investments are investments in people who are running a business that they view as the only asset their family will have for the next hundred years. So there's a there's a very long-term mindset to that ownership style. And then the um, second factor I'd mention would be tilting a little bit more towards smaller companies. Um, it's not a necessary thing to succeed, but small caps historically are underfollowed in the public markets. They aren't the companies that are discussed uh, on uh, the daily financial news uh, coverage of the markets. And so looking where others aren't can be a wonderful way. 
um, to invest in, and and we've learned so much from other great investors who um, have outlined principles like these. But I think the rule breaker breakthrough investment style is is a game changer for a lot of individual investors. And Everlasting really is bringing um, some of that ownership, long term, five year hold, and maybe looking at smaller cap companies as well. And those are just a couple flavors of Motley Fool style. We have so many great analysts and so many great community investors out on our caps platform at caps.fool.com that you can learn from. But thank you for that, Dave. Now, what about what types of returns should an investor somewhere between expect and hope for over the long term? So let's say somebody is listening right now there, I'm buying into the Motley Fool way. I'm going to follow these principles. Now tell me what I can expect um, from this. Well, I think the first thing you should know is that the stock market traditionally returns somewhere between 9 and 11% annually, depending on which country we're talking about over which meaningful long-term period. Um, uh, some countries don't have a developed or strong economy, so they're not going to be racking up 10% uh, returns every year. But at least the United States stock market, the biggest and best one in the world, has done that for decades. Um, and so, so for that reason, it's really good to remember that. Because that's your tailwind, and you can get that with the index fund, as we mentioned earlier. And you can be done with your day and your investing life, if you like, by just saving every two weeks and putting it into the index fund, which is what a lot of people do through their 401k retirement plans. And that works. That's why a lot of Americans do end up retiring and getting some of that financial freedom they're shooting for. Uh, so I think that 10% is, is probably the best expectation anybody should have. By the way, that's a lot better than bonds, which are typically 5%. Or, uh, well, bank accounts have been paying 1% or so until recently. With inflation up, it's probably going to need to rise a little bit. Of course, the state lottery is minus 50% every day for people who are invested in that. So it's helpful to know these kind of big box, big picture return expectations. I'm happy to say that Motley Fool Stock Advisor and some of our services have racked up returns closer to 20% annualized. And that's a really profound difference than just 10%. Uh, it, it feels good to be beating the market in any given year, but if you keep doing that year after year after year, uh, you, you can really uh, roll up some outstanding performance. So we would never promise that. That's never anything. Uh, we always shoot for it. Uh, so you should know that in our services, at least the ones that have those stated goals, we're trying to beat the market as badly as we possibly can. We have a pretty good record for doing so. But I've never, Tom, and you tell me whether you have, I've never put a number expectation on what I'm going to do with my investing portfolio or investment approach or over any short term at least, uh, but maybe even over any period at, uh, at all. I'm just not somebody who puts a number in the air and tries, tries to hit it. I just try to exceed. How about you? I sometimes will uh, mark out goals of uh, you know a six x return from an individual stock over ten years would be twenty percent per year, and I'd say the only reason that I do that is to try and provide context to everyone for what we're aspiring toward because I do think a lot of investors come and to the markets and have no idea when they first arrive. I, you know, some people. If we do surveys, we do sometimes see people, particularly when markets are performing very well. Um, I, I'm hoping for thirty to forty percent a year. And you know, there's there's not an investor really outside of venture capital in the public markets that's consistently gotten any re return like that. And and conversely, at the other end of the continuum, yes, the investors that say this is just a great big gambling machine and it's most most people are going to lose money. That's actually not true. Most people should be making money. Most people should be getting close to at least around ten percent a year over long periods of time. And I'd say in Molly Full history, uh, to hope, aspire to be in somewhere in the ten to twenty percent annualized return zone. That's 
probably just loosely, I think it's helpful just to provide a little bit of context for uh, how we've performed over our 25 plus year period and and what we what we aspire to. But I also agree. I'm not. There's not really a scoreboard where if we don't get to that number, that was a real loss for us. We're we're really aspiring to do better. Than the average market return, but David, in getting those returns to close out our Saturday classroom, there is a lot of volatility in the in the equity markets. And for somebody who's arriving to the Motley Fool style of investing now and listening, um, how do you face volatility? Some of our favorite companies at any point in the time, you'll look and see, oh, it's down twenty five percent this one stock, or my overall portfolio is down seventeen percent right now, or I've had three great years. Um, and I don't know what to, what what to expect. Is uh, three up years in the market? Should I expect the next three years to be up? So, just talk a little bit about how you approach the volatility of pricing in the market. If it's ten percent annualized, as you said, it's certainly not that every single year. Well, I, I think that you, if you've made a lifetime commitment as an investor, and we talked about that earlier, if you're doing that, then the only thing that really makes sense is to expect that you will have one year in three. Where your stocks will drop in value, uh, two years and three, they will rise. Uh, you're going to be invested in all three years, and then three after that, and three decades after that. And so, from my standpoint, it's not very hard to work with volatility because, as a lifetime investor, I know we're going to have drops. We've had dramatic drops in Motley Fool history. 2001, we all remember that. 2008-9, the fourth quarter of 2021 for. For a lot of fool stocks, was a was a tough quarter. So was 2018, the final quarter there. Or check 2016. Uh, so even though a lot of people think in terms of like this bull market, when will it ever end? I think I've we've seen together that the stocks that we follow anyway have gotten crushed at different points, down 25% in a month at different points in just the last five years. So I think you have to be going in eyes wide open, recognizing that. And if that's not for you, there are certainly ways to mitigate against that or invest more conservatively. That This kind of volatility that you're, that let's say, I am willing to accept as a rule breaker um, is much more than the average person would or should. And you don't need to have that kind of volatility to feel great about your investing. Um, so, I guess it's it's knowing what color your parachute is, as the old book said, and and then making sure you're flying appropriately with your parachute and got to have a soft landing if you're looking for one, or maybe a little bit of a reckless landing if you're willing to, I don't know, really go for it out there. So, knowing yourself is a big part of this as well. So, closing with a restatement of our first Saturday classroom, we talked about why we invest the pursuit of a smarter, happier, and richer life for ourselves and our families and for the world. And then, as we go out to invest in the equity markets, seeing the opportunity to be an index fund investor, a stock investor, an individual stock investor, or a blend of the two, the beauty of the index fund being that it's it's very low cost, very tax efficient. You know what you own. You can just add money to it regularly and kind of almost set up budgets around long-term returns. And the beauty of stock investing is you learn a lot more about the world, um, and you can really put your capital behind the things you believe in, and that can include your personal ethics as well as the things that you think are going to win over the coming years and decades. And then we talked about some Molly Fool core investment principles like being a lifelong investor, investing in businesses having a diversified investment uh, portfolio, um, and really being inquisitive. We then talked about the rule breaker style of looking for the disruptive innovators of our time. It's an important thing to remember that, that innovation is always coming. It, we sometimes think, oh, I missed that one. Oh, I, uh, too bad. There will never be something so exciting as what we've just been through. And of course, that is not the case. 
in, in the market system that we get to enjoy um, in this world, there are entrepreneurs coming, thinking of the next great opportunity is to serve the world. And then to take that, maybe that everlasting style of really those long-term ownership periods and thinking about who's making the decisions that, and, and what are the small companies that are rising in the marketplace that present opportunity. Then we talked about what type of returns are reasonable. The equity market's delivering about 10% annualized over the last century. And we try and beat that at the Motley Fool. And we close with a little conversation about the volatility, the natural ups and downs of the market on average, the market falls 10% once a year, 20% every four years or so, 30% once a decade. And when that happens, a lot, a lot of growth investments can go down more than that. So just accepting that as part of the lifelong journey, that there are going to be ups and downs in any given year and ups and downs within your portfolio. You are going to have losing stocks in your portfolio. But when we blend it together and take these principles uh, uh, and build around them, um, We've got a couple decades of success that we're excited to build on at The Motley Fool with you over the next couple decades. Uh, David, uh, thank you for being here on the grand debut of Saturday Classroom and Motley Fool Money. Well, thank you for the invite, and it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Tom. Fool on. Fool on. You can follow Tom and David Gardner on Twitter. We've included their Twitter handles in the show notes for this episode. That's all for today, but coming up tomorrow, a one-on-one conversation with the co-host of CNBC's signature show, Squawk Box, the one and only Becky Quick. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. tomorrow.